Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What happens sometimes is the very people that need the gospel the most that should be considered our mission become our enemies because they're a threat to our lifestyle. So we completely lose sight of God being merciful and God being able to forgive them. And we look at their wickedness and they they are wicked. And we just think, God, just take them out. Just wipe them out. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Jonah chapters 3 through 4. Now here's Pastor Brian. Let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? So these guys are, at this point, they're hoping that God is merciful. That's what they're hoping. And what do they find? They find that God is merciful. And this is the amazing thing about the Lord. He is full of mercy. He's slow to wrath. He's slow to judge. He's abundant in mercy. And even when it looks like a person or a people group would be beyond help spiritually, maybe even, you know, just beyond the redemptive reach of God, you find that, nope, they're not beyond it. God reaches out in mercy. And that's what he did here. And so it says, then God saw their works and they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them and he did not do it. So God relented. Now, this has posed a problem for some people because the Bible does tell us that God doesn't repent. God doesn't change. God is not a man that he should change his mind because the Lord does not change. We are not consumed. His mercies never fail. So there's plenty of places where we're told in Scripture that God doesn't change. So somebody says, ah, look, a contradiction, God changed. And the Bible says he doesn't change. So here we have a dilemma, but we really don't have a dilemma because when the Bible says that God doesn't change, it means that God doesn't change in his essence or his nature. Just like the New Testament tells us about Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what it means. God is immutable in the sense that his nature doesn't change. He's always a God of mercy and compassion. He doesn't at some point decide, no, I'm I'm no longer that God. He's always a God of love. He's always holy as well. He's always righteous. He's always just. So those are the unchanging things about God, his, his nature, his attributes. What we have here is clearly God responding to 
the people's response to his call to repentance. So 40 days and then judgment comes. I mean, that's how it's translated. But it seems like the Ninevites even got this, that there was implied in this that judgment didn't have to come. After all, why give 40 days? Why not just, we're going to just nuke them right now. But the 40 days seems to have given them a sense that, well, maybe we could avoid this judgment. And they were right. That, that's exactly what was intended. So no changing in God's nature. He remains the same. But they changed their behavior And that then changed what God had intended to do. Had they not relented or repented, had they not humbled themselves, then just as God said, the judgment would have come. But they did, and so it didn't. Now, here's where it gets unbelievable. Now, remember, Jonah is a prophet. And we we said this last time, but some people say, well, how is Jonah a prophet? Because the... Jonah itself is, there's nothing prophetic in Jonah. It's, it's a historical narrative, just telling us a story of what happened. But then remember, we saw that other passage in 2 Kings 14, I think it's verse 25, where certain things came to pass as they had been spoken by the prophet Jonah, the son of Amittai from Gath Hefer. So, Okay, there's, there's an indication that he, he did prophesy, even though it wasn't written down. But remember, Jonah was a prophet in his experience, primarily. Because as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So it was his experience of being three days and three nights. That, that is the prophetic element. But point is, he's, he's God's man. God told him, go to Nineveh. But he's a prophet who has no heart, no compassion, no mercy. He's a prophet who doesn't even want God to forgive people. So, you know, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that only a perfectly godly person will be used by God. But if you are around Christians for any amount of time, you will quickly realize that that obviously can't be true (laughs) because there's not really any such thing as a perfectly godly person. Now, that's not to promote the idea that we should be ungodly and not worry about it because God's going to use us anyway. There there are consequences to that. But Jonah is, it's just astounding where his heart was in relation to all of this. So they repented, they turned. There was a great 
awakening, if you will. There's an outpouring of the Spirit of God in conviction on these people. Now, I, I mentioned this last time. This doesn't mean that they forsook their idols and they began to worship the God of Israel. There's never anything in the text that implies that. There's never anything in the uh, Assyrian historical record that implies that. And the other thing is, 40, less than 40 years from this, Sennacherib will come and he will uh, attack Israel. And um, the, the Assyrian kings will lead the northern kingdom into captivity. So this is a, this is a temporary change in their circumstances and in their hearts. And it's, a, it's an outward turning away from evil, but it's not anything that, that deeply alters the, the course of the nation. But still, God spares them. When we think of, like, God pouring out his spirit, and we pray for that. You know, we pray, we've talked about it so many times. We pray, God, pour out your spirit. Do a great work. And when we think about that and talk about that, sometimes we almost put it in terms like, like if God poured out his spirit, everybody in the country would get saved. But we know that that really, no, it, it doesn't really work that way. God pours out his spirit. And when he does, many people do get saved, but many people remain unsaved. But sometimes even unsaved people, even though they don't embrace personal faith in Jesus, it affects their lives because it's no longer popular to be living the, the way that you used to be living. It can change the whole uh, atmosphere. And so that's what's, that's what's happening here with the Ninevites. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So, he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are gracious and merciful, God slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. That's why I'm mad. <laughs> That's what he says. This, this is what I said. This is why I ran away to Tarshish because I knew if I came here and warned them of judgment, I knew that you would forgive them. And so Jonah is ticked because they repented. He was hoping that 40 days in judgment comes, 40 days in judgment comes, 40 days in judgment comes, nobody changes and judgment comes. Now, why would Jonah be hoping that? Well, Jonah was an Israelite. These were Syrians. 
they were rising to power and they were not nice people. And Jonah feared for his own nation. And so as far as Jonah was concerned, let's just get these guys out of the picture before they can do us any harm. And that's why he is hoping that God will judge them. But God had mercy on them instead. So Jonah is a picture of what we can become if we lose sight of what the real important things are, the real important things, the things that are are the priorities for God. Now, we tend to think that the priorities for God are the things that we want God to do in order for us to live the kind of life we want to live. So if we see any kind of threat toward that, then we automatically think, God, you need to deal with that because that's going to mess up our thing and we don't want it messed up. And what happens sometimes is the very people that need the gospel the most, the very people that should be considered our mission become our enemies. They become our enemies because they're a threat to our lifestyle. So we completely lose sight of of God being merciful and God being able to forgive them and we look at their wickedness and they, they are wicked and we just think, God, just take them out. Just wipe them out. And of course, we never think about our own wickedness. We rarely think about what our lives were like before God had mercy on us. I had this, I had this incredible moment years ago. Now, everybody knows that San Francisco has been kind of just an epicenter of wickedness for a long, long time, right? Decades. And it's, it's just, it has a reputation still, obviously, to this day. It has a, rep, a reputation of just anything goes... Um, you want to live completely for your, your sinful passions and desires, that's a place to go. I mean, San Francisco is populated with people from all over the world who go there specifically so they can live out their sinful fantasies and not have anybody bother them. So, but it's been like that for a long, 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 long time. So I remember years ago just... You know, I would read something or I would hear something about things going on in San Francisco. And it's just like, oh, Lord, why don't you just, just, you know, just hit the nuke button, just get rid of, you know, this is just so, it's all so horrible and all of that. And then you know what happened? My daughter moved to the Bay Area and she got a job in San Francisco. And she was there every day working till late at night. And I began to pray, Lord, please never judge San Francisco. Please have mercy on San Francisco. Please, Lord, restrain your wrath against San Francisco because my 
baby girl is there. But you know what? There were, there were lots of people there that parents felt the same way about. There were lots of people there that others felt the same way about. But I didn't know those people. I didn't care. Those people just like, no, just uh, they're, they're a problem. But man, when it was my own child, it just completely changed my prayer, literally. <laughs> I, just, I remembered suddenly like those prayers of judgment. And they weren't necessarily prayers. It wasn't on my knees going, oh God, please judge San Francisco. It was more just off the cuff, like, you know, maybe in a sermon even talking about that and, oh, you know, deal with that, Lord. But here's, here's what we're going to see in this passage. I, I had a complete change of heart and mind because my child was there now. All of these people are gods. So his heart is always to have mercy, ultimately. That's his preferred action. When it comes to sin, he prefers not to judge, but to see repentance so that he can have mercy. But Jonah doesn't like that. And so, therefore now, O Lord, this is how bad it was for Jonah, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) Boy, that's pretty extreme. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and he sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Apparently he's still hoping that maybe they're not going to totally repent. So he's going to just sit and watch and see. And the Lord God prepared a plant. So here we see, again, God's direct involvement with the situation with Jonah. He prepared the wind. He prepared the fish. And now he prepares the plant. And he made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, you know, in this part of the world, it can easily be 130, 140 degrees during the daytime. So a little bit of shade would be a wonderful thing. So you could understand why Jonah would have been very thankful for that. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. 
Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. (laughs) Jonah's a bold man in that he's very candid with the Lord. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right and their left hand. The city is full of children. It's full of young people and animals. I think that's so fascinating, the way God throws in the animals. So... Jonah has more pity and concern on a plant than he does on people. And isn't that a, just a pathetic place to be? We see that today, though. There, there are people that are very, very concerned about the environment. Not to say that that's a bad thing necessarily, but they're very concerned about the environment and they want to do things to protect the environment, they think, because they think they know what's the matter with the environment and they are not even necessarily right about it, but they want to they do things that will actually have a tremendously negative impact on people. But the people aren't a consideration. And what does it show you? It shows you, well, they care more about this environment thing than they do about human life. You think of some people who are very devoted to animal rights, which is fine. Animals are wonderful. Um, They're not on the same level as humans in any way, shape, or form. If you have a biblical worldview, you understand that because the Bible tells us that only one creature was made in the image of God, and that's mankind and the animals were not but the animals are made by god so to be reasonable and fair and even in the law of god he gives instruction about the treatment of animals Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and I've got a book that I want to offer to our listeners this month, and it's a book by Jared C. Wilson, and the book is entitled The Imperfect Disciple. 
And what a great book because all of us are that person. We are all really that imperfect disciple. But the subtitle is Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. And I think so often we sort of feel that way. But what we need to know is that God is for us, He's with us, and He's going to help us. And He has promised us grace so that we ultimately can get our act together. So I think this is going to be really encouraging. So we'd love to get a copy out to you. Just request it here from Back to Basics, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. You can order the book The Imperfect Disciple by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson, to help you experience God's grace that has the power to transform anyone. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Jonah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.